Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of the Arms Boom Lake Project live on a Tuesday evening. This is the place where Windsor-Essex County comes to talk and interact with the only live stream talk show that happens on a weekly basis here with all sorts of guests and great folks that I've had a chance to work with over the last 20 years here in Windsor and Essex County. So we're live on Facebook, we're live on YouTube and Twitter. And if you're listening to the rebroadcast on Apple iTunes, or perhaps you're listening to us on Spotify, or even on LinkedIn, welcome to the show. And this show is driven by you. It's driven by your comments, your questions, your remarks, and you can comment live in the stream on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter as well. Now, just before we get to my guest on episode eight of season two, which is crazy to say, uh, I think we're well into, I think, 60 plus episodes of this podcast, the live stream since we started back in May. So I'm kind of breaking it down by season, but this is season two, episode eight. Uh, I'll bring on my guest in just a few moments. I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who came out to our annual blood drive for Canadian Blood Services. We held that on Wednesday in the beautiful town of Amherstburg, Ontario. And because of you, it was completely booked from one until seven on Wednesday. Uh, we had 117 donors and quite a few new donors too. And some fantastic people I had a chance to sit with. Uh, I gave blood at 325. And I stuck around for about an hour and spoke to a lot of the folks who came out to the Knights of Columbus Hall and had some great conversations with folks here in Windsor-Essex about uh, becoming a new blood donor and learning a little bit more about Canadian Blood Services, who were on the podcast last episode. And you can listen and watch that on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts as well. So coming up here on the program, um, this is a topic that's been really near and dear to my heart for a number of years in Windsor and Essex County. I mean, even when I was on broadcast uh, like 20 years ago here in the city, um, it's something I think a lot of corporations attempt to do. I think it's a lot of um, talk between individuals and, and organizations to make this happen. But what does it really mean to be diverse? And what does it really mean to be inclusive? Well, my guest on the show, uh, we've talked about this many times. She's frequently appeared on my news program when I was host of the CBC. And she appeared in different stories on the CBC while I was anchor. She's a recent MBA graduate from the Odette School of Business who's interested in all things related to community engagement. She's championed all sorts of local initiatives focusing on really bridge, bridging the gap between the Windsor, uh, Windsor Muslim community, law enforcement, the education sector, and politics. Uh, she's been on radio, like I said, television. She's a columnist for the Windsor Star. Um, and she holds a bachelor's in arts and science in political science and biology from the U of W. Uh, somebody I greatly respect, proud to call a friend. I'm really happy to spend some time this evening with Sarah Mushtak here on the project. Sarah, always good to talk to you. Welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's always such a pleasure chatting with you too, Arms. Oh, it's just, it, it is a blessing. And uh, I really mean that. You know, I, I I had the chance to really get to know you during my tenure at the CBC. Um, and I was always impressed and always very blessed to to get to know you, get to know a little bit about your background, and to have you on the shows uh, with such great insight uh, and, and and really a voice for a lot of things that we want to talk about tonight, including diversity and inclusion, talking about the state of Windsor, all those different things. But I always kick off the show with guests that I haven't spoke to in a long time. How are you doing? How have you been doing during this crazy last two years of the global pandemic? It's funny because uh, I feel like I don't know how to answer that question anymore, where I'm like, I don't know, what day is it? What year is it? What month is it? It just, you know, it's been a blur. 
um, in the grand scheme of things, I can't complain. You know, I'm, I'm super lucky, you know, I have a roof over my head, I have my job, have my family, everyone's safe and sound. So I can't complain from, from that end at all. And I'm, I'm really grateful. We've, we've somehow made it to March. What is it? 500th, 2020. So we're, we're, we're there, we're getting there. It's funny, right? Like we were saying just before we went live, you and I, um, you know, I know you just said you started back at the office today after from doing a little bit of work from home. I, I'm I'm lucky because I, I, I get to do the majority of my job uh, for the Humane Society from my office at home. But in those days from like nine to five, I don't think they exist anymore, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, especially from your work from home, I mean, you have the convenience of working from home, but very much, um, I think you and I are very much like type A personalities where if we have a project to push through or something that needs to get done, you're, you're doing it. But yeah, when you say that this is like March 2020 version 2.0 or 4.0, it's weird, right? It's hard to believe it's it's been two years. Yeah, I mean, it's both, I was saying this to a friend a few days ago, both feels like it's flown by, but also it's been so slow and just dragged along. And I think that like sense of time that's been warped for all of us is really, really tough. You know, it's it's been a hard time for everyone, right? Like no matter who you are it's the last two years have not been easy on any of us i think there's been a lot of opportunities for learning um i think there's been a lot of opportunities for i think a lot of folks pivoting not only career wise but spiritual wise and and sort of um value wise too uh in terms of what's important and i want to get your take on some of the things that i know that you're passionate about and we're both passionate about um in just a few minutes too but I want to talk about that, those two letters that somehow, you know, you and I have sort of, I don't want to say championed, but tried to get, uh, tried to get this ingrained in any kind of projects that we've been involved in over the last, you know, several years, but D&I, diversity inclusion, here we are in 2022. Um, where do you think we stand as a region? Where do you think we stand generally as uh, as a city when it comes to diversity and inclusion over overall, Sarah? You know, I, I feel like, that's in some ways hard to answer because I think, you know, if you look at the grand scheme of things, a lot has changed. Um, if you want to look over several decades, right? A lot, the community visually has changed. A lot of, you know, it's a much more diverse region than it was, say, 50, 60, 70, or 80 years ago. Um, but then there's still a lot of lessons that I think we haven't necessarily um, internalized. Uh, despite all the changes, right? You know, I'm just thinking about the fact it's Black History Month um, and we've still had, you know, many instances in very recent history of, you know, pretty severe anti-Black racism. There's still questions about um, what anti-Black racism looks like when it comes to policing, when it comes to the education sector, when it comes to healthcare, right? All of our public institutions. So, you know, I think in some ways we have come a long way because I think one of the most important things is we're talking about it (laughs) and, you know, we're having these conversations and, um, you know, organizations, both public and private, realize that this is um, something important that can't really be brushed under the rug anymore. Um, But at the same time, you know, you were just saying we've, we've had this conversation a few times as well that it can't just be a press release and it can't just be, you know, a statement saying like we value diversity. Um, it has to be backed up by action. And I think that's the harder part and the more uncomfortable part, right? Like there's there's discomfort in this work because um, you also 
everyone has to kind of grapple with your internal biases and that's not easy no matter who you are. I, geez, we're going to have a long show tonight. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about this and I, I want this to be a very welcoming space. I mean, this show, when I launched back in May, Sarah, I've always said like, this is a place where I think where people need to come together collectively and, and talk about things, but also support each other. Right. Because I do believe in the goodness of folks in this region. I do believe in the value that everyone brings to the table. Um, but I will say, you know, you know, before we went on the air, we talked about that whole sort of, oh, I'm sending it a press release and, you know, we value this. It's, it's almost, it's, that is so 2016, right? Like, like I, we laugh. It's just like, when I see some of that yeah. stuff come out from companies or, or we need to have a DNI um, initiative and we need to do this. And it's like, yeah, five years ago you did. Now yeah. it should be well and, and, and what do you think, sir? Is it a question of having, like I've said to, you know, and I know, you know, I've said this, like that, that kind of change comes from the top down, right? You need to have somebody ingrained at that particular execution level to say, guys, this isn't just theory anymore. This is something we're doing. And this is why it makes sense because these are our neighbors. These are, these are people who bring inherent value to the organization as well, as opposed to just, like you said, putting a poster up and saying, Hey, look at us. Yeah. I mean, look, like I, I think in some ways, um, some people have said this, you know, in some of the work that I've done that they're afraid to make mistakes. And I totally, you know, understand that. Like some people, you know, you don't want to offend someone or you don't, in your attempt to do good, you know, make some mistakes along the road. And like, quite frankly, that's going to happen, right? Like no matter what you're working on, mistakes are made along the road. You don't ever do anything perfectly. So I think it is, like you said, creating an environment where people can ask questions, um, can, you know, find the resources to learn more. Um, it's not to say to put the onus on, you know, certain people to do the work. I think that's, you know, sometimes... A problem with some organizations where you find the one diverse person and make them do all your diversity work um, <laughs> and they become your token and it's you know like if yeah. that person was hired because they're an accountant and you know their skills and their talent and their training is in finance but not in edi work and equity diversity and inclusion work you're doing a disservice both to that employee as well as your organization so i think it's about you know really having that open and honest look at your own organization, recognizing where those gaps are, and then going to get the help from, you know, the experts in the field rather than, you know, trying to get someone to do it off the side of their desk or um, just, you know, just putting up those statements and hoping that that'll do for the time. There's, you know, a joke, a friend of mine, Mita Williams, um, who she's wonderful. She's from the University of Windsor. She makes um, called the diversity emergency where organizations, right, you put up that statement, everything's good. It's like, yay, you know, did the bare minimum. But when a diversity emergency comes up, right, so either a serious incident happened, something happened with an employee or a client, then everyone's like, oh, my God, we, we need to address this. We need to fix this. And it's so you know, I think the argument for organizations is why wait for the diversity emergency? Why not be proactive, save yourself all of the heartache and the trouble and, you know, potentially the cost that's going to come down the road from that so-called emergency um, and address whatever issues you might have before you they become an issue. I, I, I think that's brilliant. And, and it's, it's almost Sarah, honestly, like in, in my experience to see, you know, I, I, I've often said, you know, when it comes to 
I'm going to, again, pivot to something I know is was in my broadcast career for, for many years. It's like I would look at I would look at, say, what Detroit was doing in a newscast or or Detroit's number seven in all of the United States. You know, this is 10, 15 years ago. Right. And I would see them doing different things during their newscast. I'm like, wow, we should just try to do something like that because it makes sense because they're seeing the results of it. So I, I kind of flipped that to, to DNI for an organization to say, look what some of the more progressive companies that are doing extremely well financially are doing um, in Toronto, in in some of these bigger cities, in LA, in, in, in Vancouver, who are constantly outperforming. They have a high retention strategy in terms of um, you know, employees actually saying that they're engaged. And and from a business standpoint alone, not because it's necessarily the right thing to do, it's to have a number of voices that can provide such, such a unique viewpoint uh, and, and skill set. I, I think, honestly, from a business standpoint, organizations would probably be doing themselves a disservice. Yeah, and I think that's also sometimes some of the struggle in the EDI field where there is a business case here, right? Like where in an increasingly globalized world, if you cannot, you know, ensure that your um, organization is diverse and, you know, in a very safe and equitable way. And if, you know, your client base isn't diverse, that means you're, you know, potentially missing out in an entire sector, you know, of uh, a client base. Um, you, you're doing yourself a business, dis, you know, a financial disfavor. So, you know, the business case is there, you know, there's tons of research on it. I, I always feel like I, I don't necessarily want to repeat that too much because I think that is one argument, but I think the bigger argument is the moral case, right? Yeah. I think there's a moral imperative here that, you know, in a society that we think or we believe should be fair and inclusive, if your, you know, business isn't reflective of your community or the community that, you know, is around you or that you serve or that um, you are looking to, you know, have people buy your product from, um, there's a problem there. And it's not necessarily, you know, like I'm using the term problem loosely. It is, you know, like maybe just looking into it that like maybe the language you're using is incorrect. Maybe that, you know, messaging is incorrect. Um, maybe you're just marketing in a way that doesn't make sense or, you know, retention wise, like internally, what are you doing? Why, why don't people of color, black, indigenous, you know, and people of color stay within your company? What is driving them out? Why is there no one in leadership or any sort of executive positions? And like I said earlier, these aren't easy, you know, conversations. There's a lot of discomfort around these conversations. But, you know, if if the goal is success down the road, um, it's it just feels like it should be a no brainer to consider and to actually um, address early on rather than waiting for something negative to happen. You know, Sarah, for as long as we've known each other over the years, too, I I've I've always said Windsor continues to grow, and 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 I mean we've seen that from a real estate perspective. Uh, you know the amount of folks that I know from the GTA area that are coming down here, and you know they're doing the remote work thing. Um, headquarters is in Toronto; they go up once a month. I know quite a few people, even in my neighborhood, um, from Hamilton, Kitchener, who have just moved down here. Um, so I, I I think Windsor's on a really good cusp over the next five to ten years, uh, market crash or otherwise to really capitalize on, I think, what we all know, what this region has to offer for folks. Um, that being said, the demographics have changed, right? And mm -hmm. and, and and we have seen, and I'm, I'm happy to say that we've seen a lot of that change 
uh, in my opinion, for the better. Um, you know, there's been certainly uh, a lot of cultures that have come down, and and I think it's they've they've added to the Windsor Essex community. Um, it it's nice to see that happening. So, like, what can we be doing better as 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 even a city or even a region to make it a, a more welcoming place, in your opinion, for folks to to call this place and really feel like it's their home? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's always so much to do, right? And I think it it the short answer, and it's not an easy answer, is that it's across every organization, every sector, you know, every sphere. Um, it's that basic, you know, thinking about our community and their needs and how can we serve those best. So for example, right, um, uh, you know, if you just look at the education sector, um, what are the needs of different, you know, diverse students and their families? And how can we ensure that those needs are being met um, within the education system? Um, how do we ensure that, um, for example, there's policies on, you know, folks who might wear hijab and making sure that that's protected. There's policies on students who might identify along the LGBTQ uh, plus spectrum. So, you know, just making sure that not only are there those policies in place, but that it's actioned and that, you know, staff have the proper training. Um, <laughs> I should say this kindly, but like sensitive sensitivity and cultural sure. safety training to yeah. action those policies in a safe way. Um, you know, I, I was talking to someone earlier today and just thinking about the impact that the education sector has on so many people, you know, what a teacher can say to you in grade one or two or a classmate or, you know, someone in the schoolyard stays with you forever, right? 100%. So, you know, like people remember what's said to them even at such a young age because it's so impressionable. So, you know, although our community is changing and I'm just using education as an example here, sure. I'm not yep. trying to pick on education in any way, but nope. how do you ensure that it's a safe enough space for everyone that, um, they feel welcome here, right? Um, I think, you know, especially for, I, I moved here to, to Windsor from the States in 2001. So um, people, you know, it's it's been a great experience for me. I've been here, you know, for a long time now. Um, I love this community. I'm so grateful to call it home. But, you know, Windsor was the first place that I was called a terrorist, right? Like, that didn't happen anywhere else that happened here. And it happened on my way, you know, walking home from school one day. And even though that happened, you know, so many years ago, that first experience, I will never forget that. And so you have to think about how these things that, you know, people just think like, oh, name calling, whatever, it doesn't matter. But that stuff stays with you forever. So sure. how do we make sure that, um, you know, we don't have those experiences and, that, you know, that people have uh, the basic, you know, knowledge about other cultures and other backgrounds that they don't say something that might be, you know, offensive. And I don't mean this as, you know, someone who's, you know, with the best of attentions trying to ask something or is curious or whatnot. Sure. But I'm meaning, you know, like, um, 
I think ARMS, you and I have had this conversation a few times, right? Like I've had this now as an adult, you know, people asking me basic, basic questions. People who've been born and raised in Windsor, Essex, they're relatively young. You know, they went to public schools, they went to the University of Windsor, and they're asking the most basic questions about Islam and about Muslims in Canada. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, like I'm happy to answer those questions and, you know, have a conversation about these things. But on the other hand, I'm like, where did that gap in knowledge and education happen? Right? Sure. Like how did this person not learn these things while growing up? Um, and, you know, like I'll hear it from other people where they'll be, excuse me, like, oh no, we can't teach about religion or cultures like in, you know, public schools, for example. And I'm like, no one's trying to indoctrinate your kids. Like that's not the argument we're happening, having here. We're just saying that as a community that's as diverse and reflective as Windsor-Essex is, you should be able to learn about these things in your formative years in a place where you spend, you know, eight to nine hours of your day so that when you go out into the world, you're not like fascinated that there's this Muslim woman you ran into and she speaks English without an accent, right? Like that, that yeah, kind I, of stuff shouldn't happen. I, I, I yeah, <laughs> we've got so much to unpack tonight. <laughs> just, uh, Sorry, just, no, it's okay. No, there. I, I, that's why I love you. Right. I need to have, and you know, I, to go back to that comment about that first comment that when you had, when you were much younger, uh, I mean, I think there's a big difference between, uh, I mean, and I've got that story too, right? I mean, I'm I'm biracial, right? My dad's Filipino. He uh, emigrated here in 1978. Uh, my mom is from the River Canard area. Um, so there's that whole piece too that, you know, that I've, you know, in the 80s and 90s here in Windsor, it was very different yeah. than 2022, right? Like my wife is Polish and I, you know, I'm, I'm pri primarily, you know, culturally identify as Filipino. Uh, my son is being raised as in both, but um, it's very different than it was. But I mean, there's a difference to having somebody ask you about the Muslim faith and mm -hmm. and and about you and your family uh, versus being called a terrorist, right? I mean, I mean, there's there's a there's a huge breakdown of knowledge at the very very least there in terms of what what is acceptable and what is ignorance, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, like there's multiple things because I, I also struggle with education campaigns, right? Because I think one time, you know, like marketing campaigns aren't what fixes this like fundamental, like systemic education issue, right? And, sure. you know, like I should say to, I'm trying to be positive and negative, like follow up every, you know, thing with something yep. positive. Like the education sector has made such strides in the last few years, right? You know, added a lot of curriculum um, about Islamophobia, about, you know, um, Muslims in Canada, the history here, about, you know, uh, the Black Canadian history, about, you know, different cultures. So I think so much has been changed and, you know, I see the difference with like, you know, my friends' kids and like the things that they're learning in school. And it's it's really heartwarming to see because they know things that, you know, I didn't pick up on until much later. So it's really lovely to see that kind of thing. Um, it's just, you know, from like a organizational perspective or like from the broader community, like civic perspective, mm -hmm. um, it's also making sure people are, you know, welcome in your your organization and they feel safe to be themselves in your organization, right? Like if you're feeling like you have to hide your identity, the food that you eat, the way, you know, you practice your religion, um, it, it makes it really hard for you to feel like you can stay in the community, in that organization, sorry, and 
you know, have a career there um, rather than, you know, this example actually that you've just put up, right? Yeah. Having, you know, a space for prayers, which can be like a multi-faith space or a spiritual space. It doesn't That's have true. to be for one organization, but it's such a great, you know, initiative and it's a very simple and easy thing to do. And it doesn't put the onus on the individual or the employee to, you know, have to muster up the courage and come forward and ask someone, hey, like, look, I, you know, pray five times a day and some of those prayers fall during my shift while I'm at work. So how can I make that happen? Um, whereas, you know, if an organization is like, we already have this covered, you know, welcome on board. Thanks for coming, you know, deciding to join us and work with us. Here's all the things you need to know. And it's part of your onboarding package. It makes such a difference. Um, and, you know, kind of indicates to an employee, among other things, right? It's not the make or break situation, but it indicates that you are taking inclusion seriously um, and more than just window dressing or whatever that might look like. And there's, and Sarah, you and I both know there's a lot of that window dressing and, and, and I'm not trying to go down the negative road here and I'm not, mm -hmm. this isn't what the show's about, but I mean, geez, like we've talked about this for years, right? It's like, and, and, and I, again, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit. I want to get into sort of not the political side, but maybe even just politics and, and engaging those communities. I want to talk to you about that. That's always been something that with, you know, the election is mm -hmm. just around the corner too. But um, from a media perspective too, I want to talk about that. But yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of organizations will say, you know, who's put on their window directions where we have to do this. And it's like, then you, it's, it's almost like it, like, again, like five years ago, 2016 tw or 20, you know, 2017, uh, like this stuff should have been in play. Like you should have, to me, it boggles my mind when you can put forth something like that and, and say, this is what we need to do for actionable change. Um, you know, we want to make, we want to make uh, our, our employees feel very uh, welcomed and, and they want, we want them to feel good about work from a business standpoint. We want them to feel so good about working here that they love work that like they don't have an excuse, right? Like there's no excuse that you love, like we're going to do everything that we can to make you feel welcomed here because everybody's on the same team and then get everybody on board from that. But, you know, sometimes you'll see it and it's like a deer in headlights, right? <laughs> you try to pitch it sometimes and they're like, well, really? It's like, yeah, it doesn't really take much, but it, it is again, setting that safe space and then having those initiatives put into place so you can see that change that that needs to be in these organizations. It's not necessarily the window dressing, like, oh, we're, 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 we really are about DNI. Well, are you, or is that just the catchphrase you're putting on the side of a wall? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I would say that any good leader knows that you're not an expert in everything, right? And it's okay that you're not an expert in everything. That's why you have, you surround yourself by people who know your weaknesses and the areas that you're not good at. Right. So, you know, I'll, just use the finance example again. That's why organizations have like a finance lead or a chief financial officer, whatever that might look like, depending on the organization. Not everyone in that organization needs to be an accountant. Not everyone needs to be, you know, a financial planner or whatever else. But you need that role fulfilled in some capacity in order to, you know, ensure that you stay on budget. And, you know, if you, you know, go under that there's a plan to get back, you know, into the black. So, uh, you know, I'd say the same applies to DEI work. Um, it's okay if you're not the expert, not everyone needs to be the expert, but some work, um, you know, needs to be put into DEI 
in, you know, a substantial kind of way that, you know, backed up with action so that you ensure that you don't fall into the window dressing um, uh, problem. It's a long day. I can't think of a word for that trap. <laughs> That's what it I would think It's very much, it's very yeah. much a problem and it is very much a trap too. Uh, the comments continue to roll in here from my welcome guest, uh, Sarah Mushtak, who is back on the show with me uh, tonight. Very happy to have her spend some time with me live this evening on the project. Colleen says, you know what? Sarah is totally spot on. Everyone, especially kids, should understand this. My daughter and taught, uh, they go to a public school in the East End of Windsor, very diverse, uh, now at a Catholic. Uh, it's crazy how much of a difference it is in a good way and bad. Um, yeah, it, it really becomes... You know, how, what are we teaching our kids, right? Like, how, like, how are we getting our kids to realize? And I guess for, for, for my son Liam, um, and 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 how we want to raise him, uh, we have been. I mean, he's only four, but we've been extremely. I I would like to think diverse and inclusive. Like, um, my my sister in law is Muslim, um, and and she con she converted, um, and and she married. Uh, she married a, a wonderful gentleman and uh, she moved to the United States and uh, she and their family, as we gone through the wedding, I got to know my brother-in-law. Uh, they're absolutely amazing people. And uh, I, I think it's so crucial that we expose and, you know, we get to know uh, that side of our family, but also to incorporate a lot of the things that we want Liam to learn about, because that is still our family. And, and, and if we want Liam to have that full spectrum of experience, right? Um, I think that's very, very important for a lot of young kids, especially in the world today, because as things continue over the next 10 to 15 years, and you, there's a bit of that globalization that take, continues to take place, and, and we really hopefully start to see past race, and we start to see past uh, culture, and we just say we're all in this together, I think hopefully we'll be in a better position in 10 and 15 years from now to kind of tackle some of the other issues that are on the horizon from climate change to resources to all those different things uh, as I don't want to say united society Sarah to sound a little cheesy but to say to you know to say like yeah we're all on the same page here we're, we're all on the same um, continent we're all on the same planet so to speak yeah I mean uh, to what you just said about your family which was so lovely and Colleen's comment I think you know those formative years are so important for kids um, and I think that sometimes from an individual level, that's one of the most important things you can do, right? Like exposing your family to new ideas, um, new cultures, different, you know, we, we're lucky in our community, we, you know, not in pandemic times, but we have, you know, lots of festivals, lots of different community events where you can easily access all of these things. Um, but I would say like, you know, from an organizational or systemic perspective, more is needed. And for those larger global issues, I think it's important to realize that um, not everyone experiences the same thing the same, right? Like that's where inequities come up. So, sure. you know, for example, with climate change, um, for many of us in Canada, we will not ex experience climate change the same, for example, as a community, um, you know, in a coastal region in Bangladesh, right? They're going to have a very different um, experience and response to climate change than we might have here in Canada. Of course, we're all going to experience climate change in some way or, or another, and we already have. But I think that's important to remember. And that's on like a very high level with, uh, you know, climate change. But we can think about that, you know down to what we're just talking about right now, right? Like people's experiences in everyday life is going to be different um, based on 
their, you know, background, their religion, their sexuality, like whatever it is, um, you might have a different experience when you go to Service Canada, when you go to school, right. when you, you know, drive down the street. And I think acknowledging those differences is important so that we can understand A, that they exist and B, find, you know, a solution that um, ensures that our community stays a safe space for everyone. Speaking of experiences, I want to talk about the experience that you've given so many readers of the Windsor Star um, since coming on board as an excellent columnist, probably one of the best. I'm, I'm a little biased, but uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy your work in the Windsor Star. Um, You're too kind, Arms. <laughs> That's very sweet of you. I really mean it. I, I think it's a, it's a refreshing voice, right? It's a refreshing take. And it's. Um, I look forward to when your articles are in the Star. I really do. And um, I know this is something that you're very proud of, and I know the work that you did with us on the CBC was 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 also excellent. L let's talk about those experiences and and the experience of, you know, there's a lot of talk in the in the sphere, the social media sphere, about voices in the media, especially now. Um, on a local level, what is your take on our media as a whole, and and is it do you feel it is reflective of really the voices that may be out there? Uh, in the Windsor-Essex area. Yeah, I think this kind of goes back to a conversation we were having earlier too, where, um, you know, I really feel for our local media because, you know, you know this more than I do, Arms, about how much in the last 20 years it's shifted and changed. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not just a local phenomenon, that's, you know, a national phenomenon. Um, and with the onset of social media, how that shifted what, you know, everyday media or journalism looks like. Um, so I definitely feel for, you know, our local journalists that, um, you know, they're having to do a lot of work, cover a lot of things with, you know, much less resources than we had even 10 or 15 years ago. Um, so I think that's tough. And I think that makes some of the equity conversations difficult, right? You know, um, I remember reading something a few weeks ago about what people were getting paid to write, you know, opinion columns in like the 90s. And it was just absurd. <laughs> I couldn't believe that that was actually, you know, well, yeah. I, I'm like, what? For how many words? <laughs> how did that happen? So it's just, you know, so much has changed since then. And so that makes it difficult where we you know, there's so few positions now in traditional media, right? Like to work for a newspaper or a radio station or a TV station. Um, and, you know, you've so many of these organizations have cut people, whether for the better or for the worse, I would argue for the worse, because I think, you know, media is such an important part of a society. Um, and so then it becomes even more difficult um, when you you have less few positions, your you know pool of talent was already not necessarily diverse or reflective of the community. To ensure that diversity is reflected in your um, you know your staff and in your leadership and your editors, um, you know it, that it, it's not just about media. We'll say this has been applied across the board, but you know when it comes to media over the last few years a lot of, you know, young people who've been hired into media as like, you know, budding journalists, recent graduates, sure. 
they've, you know, a lot of them have been diverse. And because of their, you know, lack of seniority and, you know, their newness to the organization, when cuts happen, they're often on the receiving end. So it's, you know, it becomes a little bit of a chicken and egg situation where you're saying we need to diversify media, uh, make sure that, you know, journalism, newspapers, TV stations, radio stations are reflective of the community. But when cuts happen, those very diverse people are the first ones to go. So I think it 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 definitely becomes a little bit of a difficult situation. And I don't necessarily have a particular solution here right now. Um, I think there's a lot of difficult conversations we might need to have about, you know, the role social media has had, you know, to play both in disinformation and misinformation and how harmful oh, yeah. that has been. Um, yeah. The, you know, negative rhetoric, you know, hate comments, racism, sexism, all of that, um, but also how that's accelerated the decline of journalism, right, as a whole and how, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, journalism is, you know, often within companies that are companies, they, they also need to turn a profit in order to pay their employees. And if they're not able to do that, it just makes makes for a difficult situation for all. Yeah. And, and, you know, the whole chicken and the egg thing. And then that's something I really struggled in a lot of the newsrooms I was a part of um, over the years, too. It's, you know, like you said, social media has has accelerated. I mean, look at this. I mean, I, you know, we were teasing, I was teasing you before we went live that I'm, I'm able to kind of hop on my son's in bed and do the show once a week and still feel, feel the need for me to, you know, do my broadcasting and have a, you know, you yeah. know talk about some things. And, I mean, 10 years ago, I wouldn't be able to do this. I'd have to drive to the studio and do it. And uh, yeah. now it's literally, you know, tossing the laptop and go. So it's been a plus and it's been a negative. But, <laughs> you know, you talk about the, some of those stories <clears throat> coming from a public relations communications guy like myself. Like I'm the one sending out the press releases on stuff. And, you know, I, and, I, and I'll be honest, the story is there. Right. I mean, it's 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 all they have to do is essentially rip and read the story. Right. <laughs> Where I think journalism is going to go. And, and I will say this for the CBC, the CBC has done a really great job of this, uh, in my opinion, has, has really find the OJ. And, you know, I was, te we were teasing back and forth before we went live, but what OJ was, and it's the original journalism. And, and I think that's a hard nut to crack because you have to have some inherent trust, especially if you're looking at diverse or marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. And I think people, pardon my language, can pick up the BS pretty quickly of, you know, some of that mentality it's out there that all oh, journalists are bad well journalists have to get to the truth and i and 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 i'm all about that and i think that's that's very essential but what i think is very much lacking and again this is just my opinion sarah is is um i guess a stroke of of compassion right and i think some of the folks that who do journalism who are excellent at what they do and will 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 continue to succeed over the next 10 15 years to have a bit of compassion to say Yes, we can bring two different voices together to have some healthy debate, but it has to be respectful debate. And I think mm -hmm. that's where we've gone off the rails as, as as a society. I think there's a lot of that hate, name calling, doxing that happens mm -hmm. on either side, where I think people need to come to an equitable position on both sides and say, how can we move this forward? Or this is an opinion that I have that you may not share. It may not be right but I still respect you for it and, and come from a, a I think a, a lens of civility and say, you know, let's try to work together. I don't see a lot of that reaching across the aisle anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I don't. And when that whole original journalism thing, again, like we were talking about, Sarah, is I think, you know, I want to hear about what's going on in certain communities and I want those stories. I want to know good and bad news. And, and I think they, you know, the old adage for us in media, Sarah, was if it bleeds, it leads. And I say, okay, but I think there's, you're going to see in the next 10 years, and I've, I've actually commented on a lot of this uh, on social media too, about all these mental health studies that are now coming to effect, that are saying, what is the constant barrage of negative news for individuals and the consumption of it through Twitter, Facebook, radio, television, print, negative, 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 negative as opposed to, yes, you can report on the negative, but what, there has to be something positive too, Right. Um, but I, I, I would hope to see more original journalism, but that's hard to do. That's, that's very resource intensive. And that's having those connections in the community to, to, to root out those stories. And when you get them, as you know, it's the story is gold because it, it reaches a new audience and, and it engages folks one-on-one. Yeah. And, you know, like you just mentioned about, you know, underrepresented marginalized communities that, it's hard, right? When you've seen your community misrepresented in the news, whether, you know, you agree with it or not, it, it builds that mistrust and, you know, turns you off from anything, even when the story might be a positive story, right? So even if a journalist does come, you know, pitching a story and wants to talk about something positive, that mistrust, if that wall is up, it's really hard for communities to, you know, come around that wall and say, okay, like, I'll give you a shot. So I think that is gold, like being able to have that for journalists um, and being able to tell community stories in a safe way that doesn't re-stigmatize them um, or misrepresent them is both a skill and a talent. And uh, I hope we see more of that, you know, in years to come. I'll just say on this, it's really interesting because last year was, you know, 20 years since 9-11. So I did a lot of reflecting on what that meant and, you know, how, what, you know, coverage was. And I think, you know, I can only speak for my community here, but I think, you know, the Muslim community is really still grappling with 20 years of relatively negative coverage, right? Like there's been studies and I don't have the numbers off the top of my head right now, but, you know, how negative stories about Muslims were, the if it bleeds, if it, you know, it leads uh, type of stories, and they were the ones that were covering. So like, you know, going back to some of our earlier conversations, if the only, you know, information you've ever gotten about Muslims, Canadian Muslims, or Muslims globally, is, you know, a terrorism story that you read on the news, and that's all the information you got, you know, yeah, like, I, I can't totally be mad that that's all you know about Muslims. But also, like, there's a problem here, that, that's the only thing you know about Muslims, right? And it, you know, that has been accelerated by, you know, a clickbait culture and, you know, social media. So it's really, you know, I I think we're also seeing social media, like you were saying, being used in a positive way, where a lot of people who, you know, are from my community and other marginalized or underrepresented communities um, have been able to use social media to their advantage, like you were just saying, right? Like people can, you know, kind of take back the narrative in ways that they weren't getting through traditional media. And, you know, there's something about, you know, traditional media and the reach that you get through that, that can't be beat right now. So, you know, it's unfortunate that some of these voices aren't there, but, you know, you can have, 
you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of viewers on, you know, podcasts and, you know, through other social media channels. And I think that's also an important platform and, you know, important pathway for a lot of people who are um, not uh, in the majority, so to speak. Yeah. And it's, it, it goes back to, I mean, I, 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 I really struggled with this. I'm on my exit from broadcast. I, I really struggled with some of the content that, you know, was being presented and I still struggle with it too. Like I know you shared uh, on Twitter um, an article about um, uh, talk radio in Quebec city. Uh, and I was yeah. just reading a little bit about that too. And I, I thought it was great yeah. because listen, I, I like to debate people, but I think like you said, if you only know a certain angle of a particular situation or a marginalized community or a group of people and and you're painted in that light right um that's what and if it's repetitive right um yeah. and and it, and god knows i know it. i mean especially if you're like you say you say clickbait you, you talk about ratings right rating 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 right you got to get the ratings yeah. um you, you stir the pot well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's why I love doing this new age broadcast, because it's like, you know, I'm not going to get the hundreds of hopefully uh, thousands of viewers, but I am going to get a dedicated base from a business sense or even just from a community sense. And people are saying, you know what, I need to have some good news. There's there's good new stuff happening in the community. I want to hear about it. I want to know about it. I want to refresh my mind. I want to open my mindset a bit. And I, I think a lot of the, the things that happen sometimes it's you know, you see these roundtables that come on with people and it's the same talking heads. And I, yeah. I, I used to really struggle with this. Even when I was at the CBC, I'd say we need to get if we're talking about uh, a particular group of people, I need to be in that community. I need to find Windsorites who are here. I want to feel like interview them. I want them to feel safe. I want to ask some questions. And I want to get their perspective because I think that's how, uh, again, from a viewership standpoint, then they tune into the newscast and they say, hey, this is something I could, I could watch, I, I feel a part of, but it's also, we're getting a fresh perspective. So then the viewers who aren't familiar with that community get to see this and say, Hey, these are our neighbors. These are our people. These are people who live and work and breathe and, 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 and are a part of our community from day one. Yeah. And I think the most important thing that happens is you realize those people are multidimensional people with, you know, yes. different ideas and opinions and that not one member of that community doesn't speak for the entire community. Right. Yeah. So I think that's really important because it, it just, you know, a friend of mine had said this, that one of the struggles in like, especially the post 9-11 years for Muslims was that we, we all just got put into the box. Right. Muslims were usually just brought onto media just to talk about something related to terrorism and nothing else. Well, I mean, you know, there's billions of Muslims in the world and, um, or over a billion, I should say, I don't want to get that misconstrued somewhere and turn into fake news, but there's over a billion Muslims in the world. And, you know, people have, there's different ethnicities, different, you know, religious sects, there's people have different jobs, and they have different opinions on things. And so when you've painted an entire community uh, with the same broad brush, it just makes it really hard to find that nuance and for people to understand that there's more to that community than, you know, a singular person or a singular act. Um, and I think that's really one of I mean, it comes back down to DEI, right? Like to diversity, equity, inclusion, and just, you know, ensuring that communities are actually represented in a way that's not, um, you know, one dimensional and doesn't, you know, conflate, uh, you know, one thing with the rest of the community. I, I think that's really important. 
some great comments coming in and I'm glad that everyone enjoys Sarah because uh, I'm, I'm happy to have her on the show. Super calming, smart, uh, very well spoken and uh, agreeing with what you say too. So Colleen, thank you for your comments uh, tonight. You know, okay, so for media, from big corporations media, we, we sort of touch base on education sector too. What about let's again keep it on like sort of like the local lens what about politics and 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 municipal politics you know every time there's municipal politics cycle last one was when i was still at the cbc and i know one of the stories we were covering is why aren't more people of color uh running for municipal office um and and, and certainly there was there were some positive stories out of that uh last mm-hmm. municipal election but um you know why do you think that is like are are we doing enough from that civic side of things the the municipal side of things to engage uh, these different communities in the the Windsor Essex area Sarah yeah I for this I don't think it's necessarily a civics um, issue I think it's more of a safety issue right I think both with media and politics I think there's a parallel here where we're seeing you know an increase in vitriol and hatred and you know racist and uh, xenophobic and sexist comments towards people in the public sphere, right? So over the last few weeks with uh, the blockades that happened, we saw it aimed at journalists. And, you know, by and large, it's usually at female journalists and it's at journalists who are Black, Indigenous, or people of color. Um, but the last little while, we also saw it at white male journalists. Everyone was getting it. Um, I, I think when it comes to politics, it's, you know, a little bit of the same, right? Like politics hasn't become increasingly polarized. Um, and, you know, there's there's so much research and case studies on this about the insane amount of vitriol that, you know, female politicians face. It's not an easy job. Um, you're criticized for your looks, you're criticized for anything you say, you're criticized for the way your voice sounds, like anything and everything can be criticized that, you know, male politicians don't necessarily you know, get the same level of treatment. And, you know, if you're, if you have some kind of intersecting identity on top of that, right, if you're Black, if you're Indigenous, if you're a person of color, if you are LGBTQ, it's so much worse. So I think it really comes back to how do we make politics a space that, um, you know, our communities are represented, but not at the expense of their own personal safety. Um, I don't think it's fair, you know, I struggle with this a lot, like, I don't think it's fair necessarily to ask, um, you know, people of color, young women to run for politics, if it means putting their own safety at risk, right? Like, I would, again, I should be clear, I'd love to see it, I'd love to see a more diverse city council to see more diverse representatives, both at provincial and federal levels. But will that mean um, you know, they're going to have to deal with and in, like just insane emails that they get that, you know, you know, for example, with the blockade, our mayor, who is, you know, a white man was had a bomb threats at his house, right, just because yeah. people were mad about the blockade. That's absolutely inexcusable. And so people who choose to go into the public sphere or public service shouldn't have to deal with that type of vitriol. And Again, we should be able to have spaces where people can talk about things without it, you know, becoming something so negative sure. and harmful. I, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, uh, I, this person will rename nameless, but it, they're a good friend of mine. Um, they 
were a career politician here locally. And I said, well, why aren't you running again? This is three, four years ago when they bowed out. Why aren't you running again? I'd vote for you. Right. I, and I think generally speaking, this person was doing just a great job. And he said to me, if this was 15 years ago without social media, then I would seriously consider it. But because you were being scrutinized on every single thing that you do, even when you're not on, quote unquote, the clock, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to put my wife and I don't want to put my kids through it. And I, 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 I took that to heart. And this was, again, about a couple of years ago. And then mm-hmm. it was funny because, you know, somebody had approached me to talk about boss. <laughs> Do you ever think you would run to me? And I, I said, not a chance in hell. <laughs> right? Like, like, like flat out. Like I, yeah. I, not a chance. I, I have, a, I have a lot of reasons, but I think the reasons, like you said, I don't need my family. Like, I, like I'm very proud of my family and I, I, I take care of my family and, you know, I made an analogy for family day on social media about, you know, I consider everyone in this home to be like Noah's Ark, right? Where it's like the world might be the flood and the raging waters aside, it's our job to take care of each other so we can go back out into the world and our best selves and sort of be that change we want to see. It sounds cheesy, but really it's, that's been a guiding principle in the last year for my family and I, and, uh, I, I, I just, I, it's a different game in 2022, I think. And I, I don't, where do the politics and the civility go versus, like you said, the vitriol that comes out from people? It, it, it's it's insane. Yeah. And I mean, I, 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 so many of these things are related, right? Like I think social media has, you know, a spot to play in this. And I think politics in general, you know, I value public self service so much. I'm so grateful for so many of our, you know, like local officials who are doing the hard work day in, day out, despite all the criticism that they face, um, whether warranted or not. Um, But I think, you know, we've just kind of gone down to the lowest common denominator. And there are, unfortunately, you know, some actors in the political sphere and some parties, quite frankly, who've decided that, um, you know, playing games is the way to go, right? Like to to play with misinformation and disinformation to act, you know, attack people for their um, identity, for their background is the way that they're going to go. And some people have thick enough skin that they can deal with it, right? Like they're okay, you know, being called a terrorist isn't necessarily a a deal breaker for them. They can deal with it, can bounce off them. But why do we have to ask someone to deal with that, right? Like why should that be a requirement in order to go into politics? So I think that's, you know, I, I don't really have an easy solution there. I think we're just unfortunately in this space where right now, um, you know, this this uh, arena of outrage is the way that gets you, you know, popularity and and uh, politics and that sometimes that can, you know, get you into being the leader of your party. Like, we'll see how far that goes at the federal level. But, you know, it's it's unfortunate that we're at that that level right now. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of <laughs> much smarter people than me who are talking about this and, you know, have some solutions. I think sure. just from my perspective, it's it's really sad and disheartening for me to see because I think there's a lot of great local people who would, you know, make great elected officials. Um, but it, it, again, it comes down to me, to, for me, at what cost? Yeah. And I think that cost is unfortunately high in some cases. Well, 
I just wanted to say I want to thank you for spending, speaking of cost, a good chunk of your Tuesday evening being with me on the show. It has been amazing. Um, the comments continue to roll in. Uh, folks are very happy to have you here in this space. Um, and I definitely want to check back with you in a future episode, probably at some point during this season, just to kind of circle back and kind of chit chat with you because it's always an absolute pleasure to have you here on the show. Pat, feelings mutual arms. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad that we were able to see each other, even though it was virtual. It's nice to see your face. Oh, God bless you. And uh, I, I I really appreciate everything that you continue to do. Uh, folks, if you're listening to this, the rebroadcast uh, on really look for Sarah's work in the star. It's awesome. Um, it, it, it really is uh, a breath of fresh air. And uh, I hope to see you more certainly on legacy media. Um, you know, whether it is, you know, being a guest on CBC or, you know, CKLW or anything like that, I think you do a great job and I'm honored to call you a friend. So keep up the great work and thank you for being a part of my audience here on the show. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me, Arms. Take care of yourself and I'll circle back, okay? All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much. Sarah Mushtak, she's just an amazing woman. Um, so knowledgeable, so passionate and uh, just amazing to talk with in the Windsor-Essex area. She really knows her stuff and... Uh, yeah, a lot of thank yous coming in here. Uh, Diane saying thank you to Sarah. Thank you uh, from Nicole as well. And Lyra, thank you so much too. So we certainly appreciate everybody uh, tuning into the show. And I will have a couple of uh, requests for Sarah back on the program um, to have her back on the show. So that is an easy ask for people who are tuning into the program here. So that'll do it for episode eight here on the project next Tuesday. We're back again. We're going to kind of try to keep this in rotation for the show live. Uh, I got a couple of great folks that are going to join us for the stream. I got my buddies, uh, John and Paige from the Windsor Essex Therapeutic Riding Association going to be on the show live with us next Tuesday, March 1st, believe it or not at eight o'clock and Wetra has gone through some challenging times because of the pandemic, but they continue to do some incredible work uh, for their particular participants at the Windsor-Essex Therapeutic Writing Association. So they're on next week's show. Make sure to tune in live at eight o'clock. And speaking of good news, if you love the show, you can support the show. We are asking you to pick up a fantastic ceramic mug for your morning coffee. We have season two ABP mugs available that are right now uh, for you right now. And the, the price tag on this $20 proceeds go to the Windsor-Essex County Humane Society and the Ronald McDonald House here in Windsor-Essex at Windsor Regional Hospital. So my, my partners, uh, Glenn and Kim over at Hag Customs are making these mugs. Uh, they're highly collectible, highly uh, durable and dishwasher safe as well. And they make an awesome gift. So if you'd like to pick up those, you can message me or you can find Hag Customs on Facebook and get those mugs for you too with a uh, great donation to two great charities. And as Jim will attest, one of our longtime viewers, it's a beautiful mug. It's a beautiful mug for a great cause. Jim, thank you so much for your support as always, my friend. Okay, folks, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure to like and subscribe, and we'll see you back here next Tuesday for good news. Great conversation here in Windsor-Essex on the Arms Boom and Light Project.